All right, it's time for our scripture reading as you make your way to your seats. The scripture reading this morning is from 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, Simeon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. And so this morning we have a, a special guest with us, uh, Aaron Campbell. He is the assistant pastor at Redeeming Grace. Redeeming Grace is another Acts 29 church here in the city. And uh, they've, been, they've been really good to us and we've appreciated fellowship with them. Um, and so Aaron is going to be preaching for us this morning. He is married, celebrating 25 years this week. Um, he has three kids, and so welcome him this morning. All right. Thanks, Caleb. Well, thank you. It's good to be with you this morning. And I have both heard and enjoyed Will's preaching enough to know that you miss him when he's not the one up here uh, speaking to you. You are a blessed church. I know you know that. Um, I don't know how much you know that. Uh, Will is a gifted preacher and pastor, and that is a tremendous gift to you uh, as a church body. And um, it may seem odd or like a sacrifice for you when he's not the one up here, but I, I just want to encourage you when there are those times when it's for a, a week or two, uh, that these breaks provide you with the opportunity to have a better will in the long run. And uh, there's a responsibility, there's a burden that comes with this role that is, well, frankly, it's too much for any man. The responsibility to the burden that comes with this role in week after week, bringing the realities of the divine and making them accessible to all of us. Um, we need God's gifting. We need His strengthening. Um, it's enough to crush a man's soul if he's trying to bear that burden alone. He is in need of refreshment and strengthening at the hands of the Good Shepherd, so I commend you for just giving him opportunities like these last couple weeks where he and his family can be refreshed to the Lord so that he can serve you with greater strength, clarity, and purpose for the long haul. So thanks for being an example in that and for serving your pastor and loving him that way. Ultimately, that's going to bear more fruit in this local body, um, even when it's a sacrifice for a week or two. So uh, this morning, we're going to look at what I think is a stunning passage. We've just read it. I'm going to read it again in just a minute. If you've placed your hope and trust in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins, for being made right with God, I trust that you can marvel along with me today as we look at these two short verses. And if you've not humbled yourself by yielding your life to your Creator and Redeemer, I pray that you too will be amazed and compelled enough to ask someone about a relationship with Him Today. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them to 2 Peter chapter 1. 
Peter, of course, is one of the most well-known of Jesus' disciples. Not only because he pops up in the Gospels again and again, but because his words and actions are often well, almost a bit too relatable for many of us. A fisherman by trade, he was less than polished and willing to open his mouth when others could not or would not. Near the end of Peter's life, he wrote two letters to believers in exile who were mostly Gentile Christians that realized that they were no longer at home in the world they grew up in because of their faith in Jesus. So let's look now at the first two verses of Peter's final letter. 2 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Here's the main idea I want us to see this morning. It's that our standing before God is outstanding because of Jesus. Peter says he is writing to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by His and other apostles as He just identified Himself to be, by the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Who could He be writing to? Who has a faith equal to that of the apostles? Who qualifies as having received a faith equal to Peter and those who have shared His position and being God's spokespeople, His apostles. He isn't writing here to another apostle. He isn't addressing leaders only or some super spiritual society of Christians. This is a general letter going to all believers in every church. Because that is who has obtained a faith of equal standing with Peter and the apostles. Wait a second. An equal standing with Peter. One of Jesus' inner circle. Peter, the one who walked on water. The same Peter who gave the good response when Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And he replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded declaring that on that good confession, He would build His church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Peter, one of the three disciples Jesus took with Him up on the Mount of Transfiguration, who saw Jesus speaking with, Peter, with Moses and Elijah. The same one who ran to the empty tomb that first Sunday after Jesus was crucified. The Peter that spoke on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 were saved? The spokesperson for the early church God used to heal a beggar outside the temple. 
The same one who was beaten and imprisoned because of his testimony about Jesus. The one who experienced multiple miraculous releases from prison. The Peter people used to line up the cots of the sick in the street in hopes that his shadow might pass over them, that they might be healed. Is this saying a faith of equal standing with Peter? The apostle God used to confirm the inclusion of the Gentiles in his redemptive plans through their own Pentecost-like experience at Cornelius' house? Is he really saying that a brand new believer, a Gentile believer of his day, or any of us in our day, have obtained a faith equal to Peter than the other, and the other apostles? Yes. That's exactly what he's saying. Because Peter is not speaking about whether we have a mustard seed of faith or a mountain of faith, but what our, what our faith obtains when our faith, when Jesus is the object of our faith. When our faith is in Jesus, what do we receive from that faith? When our trust, our hope, our faith is in Jesus, there is no greater faith that anyone else can possibly have. Our faith in Jesus obtains the same thing the apostles' faith in Jesus obtained, putting us on equal footing with every saint and hero of the faith. Take a second to soak in that. To just consider how amazing that is. An equal standing with Peter than the other apostles because, you know, we can struggle with doubt when it comes to questions related to our standing before God, even those that have walked with the Lord for years and still have doubts and struggles. But Peter and Paul, James and John, they're different, right? They're in the pages of this book. They walked and talked with Him, and then they took His message and empowered by His Spirit, they turned the world upside down. There's no doubt on the standing of their faith. So we might doubt Peter's wisdom in making a declaration like this, except that his declaration is also in this book. How's that possible? Well, Peter answers that in the second half of verse 1 when he writes, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's not forget that the same Peter who had all those amazing experiences also stuck his foot in his mouth over and over again, getting told to be quiet by God the Father at the transfiguration, 
and being told by God the Son, get behind me, Satan. Peter also vowed that though everyone else might fall away, he never would. Yet that same night, he denied the Lord three times. Peter knew what it was like to fail. He knew what it was like to fall. And he learned that a good standing with God couldn't be based on his own goodness or righteousness. He came to understand that an outstanding standing wasn't the result of his bold declarations or his best intentions, but on what Christ has accomplished. And so he passes that on to us. Our faith obtains an equal standing with the apostles because our faith, like theirs, is in the righteousness of Christ alone. Not in our own abilities, our own good works, our own best intentions. So what does Peter mean when he says our standing? What is he referring to? It refers to being declared righteous in the courtroom of heaven. The theological fancy term is that we are justified before God. Some like to remember what that means by saying it's just as if I'd never sinned. And that's helpful, except that it doesn't quite go far enough. Because not sinning means you're not guilty. But that's not the same thing as righteous. Not guilty is neutral. It's not negative. But righteous goes a big step further to declare that we are positively good. Think about it like a bank account. Neutral is better than negative. Right? We don't want to be in debt. So it's good when we're not, no longer have a negative balance. But we still can't buy anything with a zero balance. We need positive dollars in our account. And in terms of righteousness, to accrue, to gain positive righteousness, we need to be obedient. Not just obedient, but perfect in obedience and good deeds. In our words, in our thoughts, in our actions and attitudes, which is why all of our accounts need some serious outside help. And this is a part of Christ's work. I think many of us, I know for me, I can often overlook this. I mean, we're familiar with Jesus dying on the cross for our sin. The fact that He willingly stood in our place and took the punishment for all of our sin. It's as if He, as if he said, Treat me as if all of their sin, all the hatred and anger and lust and selfishness, treat me as if I had done all that. All the lying and stealing, abuse and murder, idolatry and adultery, gossip and slander, drunkenness and gluttony, 
put it all on my account and treat me as if I had done it all. And God the Father did. Jesus' dread of the cross wasn't just related to the physical agonies He would endure, but the active, concentrated wrath and anger of God that He absorbed for us so that we would not have to bear that to our own damnation. It's the same wrath that isn't exhausted for all eternity in hell for those who do not receive what Christ has done for them standing in our place. So, dealing with our sin, it was a necessary action for us to have the opportunity to be welcomed by God. And it was wonderfully generous and incredibly costly for Jesus. But it's only half of the good news. His taking our sin didn't make us right with God. It made us neutral with God. At least it would have if that's as far as His great exchange had gone. The other half of the equation is that all of Christ's righteousness, what He earned through His perfect obedience, His fulfilling the law, all that He was and did that made the Fa- God the Father declare, this is My Son. With Him, I am well pleased. All of that was credited to our account. Positive dollars that you and I could never earn on our own. Peter clearly says our standing is by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He took all of our negative from us And He gave all of His positive to us. So we aren't simply in a position where God won't punish us because He punished Christ instead. No, even greater than that, He loves and pours out His favor and kindness to us because it's just as if I'd lived the perfect life that Jesus did. That's why God declares us not only not guilty, but righteous, perfect, outstanding. And notice notice when this goes into effect. Peter is writing to those who have obtained this faith of equal standing. It's taken place in the past. And it remains in effect forever. Not just for other apostles, but for every believer. When we are saved, brought from spiritual death to eternal life, transformed from the kingdom of darkness into unending light, at that moment, our standing with God Because of Christ's righteousness that is credited to us, to our account, 
It's something that we have already obtained. It's not something we need to do something extra for in order to get. There's no six-month waiting period, no minimum purchase required before it kicks in. The moment we repent of our sins, cry out to God for His mercy, He declares us righteous before Him. And Peter is is not the only one who points this out. Paul relays the same thing in Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 4 through 6, he says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and listen to this, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's talking about this as something that has taken place in the past. It's already a done deal. Yet we, we're not there physically, but what Paul is saying is the same thing Peter is, our standing before God is we are already seated with Him. We are already declared righteous by Him. We are already the objects of not only His mercy, but His great love and kindness. And this is for every follower of Jesus. Our standing before God right now is that we are already raised and seated with Him, declared righteous by the Judge of Heaven, sons and daughters of the Most High God. How amazing is that? You and I, in case you were unaware, we are not currently experientially righteous. Not in our thoughts and actions, our words, our attitudes. Yet God has declared us righteous in Jesus and promised to treat us not according to our sin, our weakness, our inabilities, our failures. They've already been paid for by Jesus, but to treat us instead as if we were fully obedient and pleasing to God because Jesus was in our place. This means God's commitment to you and love for you is based not on your faulty works or insufficient righteousness, but Christ's perfect righteousness. So, God cannot possibly, He cannot possibly love you more tomorrow than He already does today. And He will not love you less. The fullness of God's love is already upon you. He cannot love you more 
because he not, cannot love anyone more than how much he loves Christ. Your obedience and good deeds can't make Jesus' perfect obedience any better. We can't make it better than perfect. What he has done is the full measure of what we need to be measured by. There's nothing that we can add to it to improve it. All your efforts cannot surpass what He has already achieved for you. Instead, we get to enjoy loving and relating with God as those who are completely accepted, completely loved, completely enjoyed because we are in Christ. And God will not love us less than He does right now because all of our sin and failure and worst moments, they've already been dealt with. Your current disappointments... There's something that he already knew about and took care of 2,000 years ago. Maybe new to you, but he declared, it is finished long ago. He can't love you more. He won't love you less. That's what it means to have right standing with God. What it means to be justified before him. The reality that we have already obtained in the courtroom of heaven, the eternal verdict of not guilty, but righteous because we are in Christ. Of course, if you know you are not in Christ, you must come to Him. You must seek His mercy. Humble yourself because there is no other way to be right and righteous before Him. Of course, many true believers might say, but I don't feel that way. I don't feel right with God. I feel guilty and condemned. I know He loves us. But I don't always feel that particularly for me. There are lots of times it's hard to believe. Because I know I'm guilty. I see the mess that I'm in. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. When the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, we need to do what we have rehearsed doing this morning. We need to confess our sins because He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we've done that, feelings of guilt, shame, condemnation persist. Allow me to give you the same counsel I give to my daughters who are 20 down to 14 when their emotions, particular feelings of condemnation and guilt seem to be running the show, our feelings are lying liars. And we need to stop listening to them so much. Seriously, the enemy manipulates our emotions against us to keep us feeling distant from God. We need to listen to our emotions less and speak to ourselves the truth of God's Word. We can't allow our limited, constantly fluctuating, self-centered perspective 
to become greater in our eyes than what God has revealed to be eternally true. Just as David speaks to his soul in various psalms, we need to be directing our souls to a proper view and perspective of God so that our feelings can follow instead of lead. Our sins are forgiven, and we are declared righteous before God. That's amazing news. But we're not in heaven yet, and life is still hard, so Peter also prays for his readers. That's what verse 2 is. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Our main idea was that our standing before God is outstanding because of Jesus. Well, the application is our standing, our outstanding standing doesn't remove the need for more grace and peace now. Peter lived in the same world we do. Even though our standing before God is settled and and immovably secure because of Christ, Peter knows that we're not. We're not always settled and immovably secure. We still sin and struggle. We wrestle with fears and doubts. We wonder if He is really real and whether His promises are too good to be true. We live in a broken and hurting world that often leaves us feeling hurt and broken. So hearing about a standing that we have already obtained with a God who couldn't possibly love us more than He already does. In those times, it either doesn't make sense or doesn't seem very reassuring. Because if He loves us so much, why is life still so hard? Why are things so messy? Why does this world disappoint us so much? Why can't we seem to get our acts together? It seems to be a misalignment. We have obtained right standing with God through Christ's righteousness and are already fully loved and accepted by Him. But the end of the story isn't finished. We're not yet glorified. We're not made like Him yet. Sin and struggles remain. So in this life, we must continue to engage in the process of becoming more and more like Him called sanctification. Growing and conforming our present selves into what He has already declared us to be righteous before God. Not to earn favor, but to reflect the amazing thing that He has done for us. It's a a process that requires effort requires work, but it's work that's fueled by grace and peace until we are glorified in His presence. One day, we won't need faith anymore because we'll be with Jesus and we'll see the reality of all that He has accomplished for us. But until our daily experience matches our heavenly standing, We don't just need grace and peace. We need grace and peace multiplied to us, Peter says. 
day by day. We need to experience the benefits of His favor and the peace with God provided for us in Christ. Right now, we wrestle with sin and doubt, struggle and pain. So Peter prays for more grace, but he also points us to its source. How was grace and peace multiplied to a guilty and ashamed Peter? By being with Jesus and seeing His love was even greater than Peter imagined. The means of having grace and peace multiplied is through the knowledge of God and Jesus. If we want to grow in grace and peace, we need to get closer to the source of grace and peace. To know God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus. The better we know Him and the more we relate with Him, the more we will realize the benefits He has secured for us, both now and forever. Getting to really know Him and His character convinces us that His promises are not just wishful thinking, but our certain future. So friends, let us draw near to the Father. Let us give thanks to the Son. Let us eagerly desire the work of the Spirit so that more grace and more peace might overflow in our lives and transform our current experience. Not with any promises that our, current ex- our circumstances will change, but that the way we relate to Him in the midst of our circumstances might. Our standing is secure in Jesus. So with Peter, let's pray for more grace to enjoy Him and His benefits that He is so richly provided for us. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You that we have an outstanding standing because of what You have done for us. Thank You that we don't have the example of a perfect Peter, but one that knew what it was like to experience grace and peace through His relationship with You. Thank You that our standing is not based on our own perfection or best intentions, but on what You have accomplished, what You have secured. Help us to know You more through Your Word so we might experience more of the grace and peace that You have already purchased for us. For those that you don't know you, would you help them to see that you offer freely what they can never attain on their own? Would you bring them to an end of themselves that they might begin new life in you? Would you hear our prayers and answer them according to your great love, we pray. Amen.